one more time. And as we sing, I just want you to, to picture the throne room and that our God, who is creator, who is Lord, he has chosen to surround himself with worship and incense. You learn a lot about somebody based upon how they decorate their house, what they have hanging on the walls of their room. And our God has chosen to surround himself with worship and incense, the prayers of the saints. He hears us. He's moved when we sing and when we extol and exalt him. Can we do it one more time before we get into the word? Highest praises, highest praises. the one seated on the throne worthy is the one seated on the throne seated on the throne holy spirit open our eyes to the worthiness of the lord this morning Lord we're grateful this morning that because of the blood of Jesus we can enter in boldly to your throne room no longer is there a veil separating us from the holy of holies but the blood has been applied to the mercy seat and the blood has been applied to our lives we are forgiven we have been set free and we can now enter into the eternal calling that you've predestined us for to live ever before you beholding you worshiping you accepted adopted the beloved of God and in your infinite wisdom, you've chosen to anoint our song, our praise. You've chosen to anoint our agreement, our prayers. And you accomplish your will in the earth. You're seated on your throne in the midst of our praises. You execute your judgments. the partnership of the saints and forever for eternity we will rule and reign with you you 
didn't just save us from sin and from hell, but you saved us for eternal fellowship, partnership. You've never changed your mind about what you desired in the garden. And not even our rebellion and our rejection of you could cause you to come up with another plan. You just sent your son to show us the way to lay his life down as the sacrifice once and for all, the high priest, the mediator between God and man. You sent your Holy Spirit as the seal of the promise and our eternal inheritance every day bringing us confidence anchoring us in the eternal hope that is Christ thank you this morning holy and worthy are you holy and worthy are you we love you Lord we give you praise amen amen Hallelujah. Would you join me in just thanking Sharia and my man on the guitar? I don't know your name, brother. Steve, thank you so much. Sharia and Steve. That was awesome. When um, Pastor Priscilla reached out to me and uh, asked if I had any availability uh, to come and share, I, I was overwhelmed by just the invitation uh, this spiritual family, this community, faith, hope, love, house of prayer means so much to me. Um, I, don't, I don't even have words to rightly articulate the impact that this community has had on my life personally, on the life of my family, my wife and four children, and how we pursue the Lord, how we live, how we uh, see ministry the impact that Faith, Hope, Love has had on the Church of Columbus and what has been a multi-decade prayer and worship movement across this city and region and now is impacting uh, the state and nations as leaders such as Matthew Lilly and Dean Briggs and Bob Sorge and others come to Columbus as we sit with them in the Ohio Prayer and Worship Network meetings there. They're consistently telling us what you guys have here in this region is special. It's not like this everywhere. Multiple houses of prayer through local churches. Jesus said, right, in Matthew 21, verse 13, that his father's house will be a house of prayer. And right, He, he quotes Isaiah 56, and he talks about uh, the zeal that has consumed him, consumed him for his father's house out of Psalm 69. And here we are seeing what that looks like to be among a people, a, a spiritual fellowship that spans across multiple, multiple local churches and houses of prayer that have, by the grace of the Spirit, been consumed by the same thing that consumed Jesus, that his Father's house would be a house of prayer. And so I stand behind this pulpit, excited, but nervous. And I don't get nervous very often. I've been preaching now since 2010, and I miss feeling the butterflies and, and feeling nervous. But this is, this is a holy moment for me, and 
Um, just really, really, really uh, consider a privilege and honor to be here. I think about the Ohio State House of Prayer. I think about Brian Williams being here in 2010 and being discipled in prayer. And now Hope City House of Prayer exists. I think about just, again, Garden City and our House of Prayer. Priscilla's on our pastoral council, and I don't think there's a single expression of prayer and worship that exists in this region that has not in one way or another been touched by this house. Would you give yourselves a round of applause? Would you honor Pastor Priscilla, Mama and Papa Juan? Just the history. It's beautiful. So again, thank you for letting me come and continue to keep uh, your, your pastor and the team, Becca and uh, Pastor Joseph in prayer as they are traveling all over the world. I, don't, I can't even keep up with how many countries they're touching on this trip. Um, but I know they're going to come back with so much to share and sh- so much to impart into you. And uh, it's going to be beautiful. So today, um, what, what I'd like to, to do is just spend some time talking about what you guys already do very, very well. Um, as I was praying and asked the Lord what he wanted uh, to share, and I, and I heard the title, I'm like, Jesus, they already do that. And he said, well, tell them to keep doing it. And so this is a message to simply encourage you as a community to keep doing what you're already doing in light of, of this particular topic, stewarding covenant through conversation and communion, stewarding covenant through conversation and communion. And we're going to look at Exodus 24 mainly. There's a lot of other scriptures that we may get to. I gave all of them to to Cindy and the team. We'll see if if we lean into all of them. Um, I'll just warn you now, that's just kind of how I preach. I just tell you what the Bible says in a lot of different places. Um, so don't feel like you have to, to catch all of the references or even write them down. They can even p- send you the PDF of the outline if you want all of them. Uh, but the main ideas will just really be repeated as we see the consistency of God's heart um, as he's expressed it throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament. Um, when you think about covenant, there's a few key ones that should come to mind. Uh, the Abrahamic covenant that we see uh, throughout Genesis 12 through 22. Uh, obviously, the Mosaic or Sinaitic covenant uh, that we, we are going to be looking at today in Exodus 24 uh, that God makes with Israel after he sets them free uh, from Egyptian bondage. The Davidic covenant uh, that we can read about in First Chronicles uh, 13 through through 17, and what ultimately is passed down to Solomon. And then we see the, the new covenant, Jesus Christ. And what he does is he sits at a table uh, with the 12 in Matthew 26. And you're going to see some parallels even between uh, Exodus 24, which will be our main passage, and how God went about establishing covenant and how he invites us to steward covenant through conversation and communion and and just some very clear parallels between what that looked like in Exodus 24 and specifically the new covenant in Matthew 26. Uh, Pray with me as we dive into the word. Father, thank you once again for your presence and thank you for the gift of your holy word. We love you, God, and we ask that, that our love for you will continue to manifest in obedience, responding 
uh, to what we hear. Jesus, you said, if you love me, keep my commands. That's what you said in John 14, 15. And so as we give ourselves to your word and as we're stirred by uh, your invitation, you are the initiator of covenant and you've given us these two vehicles of conversation and communion, fellowship with you uh, to rightly steward your covenant. Would you help us uh, to take what we hear today and apply it to our lives and may you be glorified. And again, thank you for this house. May your blessing come richly, abundantly upon faith, hope, love, house of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read Exodus 24, 1 through 11 to start. It says, now he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, 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 however you'd like to say it, and 70 of the elders of Israel and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but They shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has said, we will do. Can you imagine hearing the entire nation of Israel say that all the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. They started right. Amen. They had some twists and turns, but their heart was in it. And I just want to showcase the significance of corporate response to this invitation to be the people of God and to respond to the commandments and how central this was to the covenant that was being made. Verse four, Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. He wrote them down and he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people. And they said again, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. Highlight that verse. Be visiting that again. This is the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made with you according to these words. So the Lord is the one who is establishing the covenant and he's doing it through the words that he gave to Moses that he's now read with the people and they've responded and blood has sealed. Then Moses went up also Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 uh, elders of Israel and they saw the God of Israel. This is incredible. They saw him And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. Other translations, I believe it's uh, uh, Lali uh, Lapuzzi. How do you say it? Lapis Lapuzzi? What? Lazuli. Praise the Lord. (laughs) I like sapphire. It's easier to say. And it was like the very heavens in its clarity, but on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. In other words, he didn't kill them because that's what should have happened as they were in his presence and they saw him. But instead of killing them, instead of them being killed, it says, so they saw God and they ate and drank. This is incredible. 
this magnificent, marvelous, holy meal that is taking place between God and man on the top of this mountain. Here's the things that I want to unpack. God initiates the covenant, number one. He is the initiator. Number two, he sets the terms of the covenant. He sets the terms of the covenant. Number three, God speaks and he demands a response. So not only does he speak, but he demands a response. Number four, the response includes sacrifice, blood, and obedience. Sacrifice, blood, and obedience. Number five, God desires to be seen. I gave these bullet points uh, in the outline so they can just maybe send the whole thing to you. I know it's probably hard to write all this down, but all this is is in, in this passage. God desires to be seen. Being seen is God's idea. Being revealed is God's idea. He is the self-revealing God. He's the initiator of the covenant. And a part of it is, is the fact that he wants to be seen. He wants to be known. And his desire is fellowship. And we see that through the meal. And God's covenant is stewarded by conversation and communion. I'm going to repeat those. God initiates the covenant. He's the initiator. We see this once again with Abraham. Abraham was minding his business in Genesis 12. And out of nowhere, the one true living God says, hey, leave your daddy's house and go to a a land that I'm going to show you. You don't know where it is. I'll tell you when you're there. No map, no GPS system. But he initiates it. He initiates again in Genesis 15 and 17 and 18. All of these conversations that that he has with Abraham, God is the initiator. He sets the terms of the covenant. It's not on our terms. It's on his terms. He speaks. He demands a response. That response includes sacrifice, blood, and obedience. He desires to be seen and desires to be known, and he desires fellowship. And we steward the covenant by conversation and communion. Before we get to Exodus 24, we know that Israel has been set free from Egyptian bondage. And in Exodus 19, God gives Israel their purpose, that they're called to to worship him as a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And then chapters 20 through 23, we get the Ten Commandments and many other laws that are specifically pointing to God's heart for justice. We get the laws of the Sabbath. We get the feasts. In those three chapters, and after hearing all of this from Moses, he reads the book of the covenant, and the covenant is ratified. This word ratified, it means to approve or an act, a legally binding act that would not otherwise be binding in the absence of such approval. And that's what Exodus 24 is all about. It's about about ratifying this covenant that he is now bringing them into. What we recognize is that, that God is holy. He is, he's bringing the children of Israel to himself, but, but he is holy. And his heart is that he would call them up higher to where he is. It's one of the significance of, of this all taking place on the top of a mountain. His, his desire is, I'm holy, and I, I need you to raise the standard. I, I need you to come up higher to where I am. And I'm going to make that possible through this covenant relationship. We see his hope in making covenant with Israel, that he would be worshipped and that he would dwell with them. I think it's important to just remind ourselves, all of this is God's idea. 
We did not come up with this relationship. We did not initiate or come up with this covenant, but he did. Not only did did God go to all of these lengths to make himself known and to initiate this covenant, but he did it in a way that they would have been familiar with. What we're watching take place right here in Exodus 24 is something that would have been practiced in this time period. The Caesarean vassal covenants, one of two basic covenant treaty processes that would have taken place during this time period. And what it establishes is that he is Lord and that they are the lesser subject. He is the greater, higher subject and they are the lesser subject. And by coming into covenant with God, they're saying, we will trust you for our protection. We will trust you for our provision and we will worship you. We will be loyal to you. We will be obedient to you. The covenant Yahweh establishes with Israel on Mount Mount Sinai, it exhibits striking parallels with the the Hittite or Suzerian vassal treaties that would have been taking place during this time. They had six basic features to them. A preamble that identifies who the Lord is. How often did he tell them, I am holy. I am the Lord. He introduces himself that way. It also includes, number two, a historical prologue that recounts the previous relationship between the parties. And we see this happen throughout the Torah. He reminds them, I'm the one that delivered you from Egypt. He recounts their history. And then there's stipulations to the covenant that the vassal or the lesser subject must agree to. Number four, there's provisions for periodic reading and safekeeping of the covenant. There's something that happens every time throughout Israel's history. They come back to the covenant and they read it out loud. There's significance in even this initial establishing of the covenant that Moses takes the book of the covenant and he reads it out loud. This was intentional. And this was something that would have been, again, common to the way that that covenants were established and stewarded in that time period. Number five, there's witnesses to the covenant. Number six, there's blessings and curses should the vassal either keep or fail to keep the covenant. All of these things are present in what God establishes with Israel. The ancient Near Eastern context of covenant making and its relationship to the Sinaitic covenant helps us understand Yahweh's relationship with Israel. In rescuing Israel from Egypt and entering into a covenant with them, he proclaimed that he was their Caesarian, their Lord and Father. And as such, he required their loyalty. He would protect them and give them land. And in response, they were to be loyal and obedient to him. First and foremost, this loyal obedience meant that Israel would worship Yahweh alone. To worship anyone else would be treason. Moreover, Yahweh outlined how Israel was to act toward others in order to demonstrate their loyalty and obedience to him. It's crucial to note that the covenant Yahweh made with Israel was of his own initiative once again. And their loyal obedience, the proper response to the covenant relationship was required, but it was not the basis for the covenant. Their response was not the basis of the covenant. That's good news. But the basis of the covenant was Yahweh's gracious acts towards Israel, not their obedience. We see how that played out over time. As you look at Exodus 24, I want to point out a couple key things here. 
Moses reading the word out loud demonstrates one of the main two things that Yahweh was truly building this covenant upon. His name, who he is, and his word. That's what the covenant was based upon. We know how powerful the word of God is. The Bible tells us in Psalm 107 verse 20 that he sent his word and he healed them. We're familiar with Isaiah 55, 11. So my word shall go forth. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. It shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. I, um, Psalm 138 verse 2 tells us that the only thing that he actually puts above his name is his word. Have that in mind as you think about Moses reading the word out loud to them. And Hebrews 6, 18 tells us that, that there's two immutable, unchanging things that God established his covenant upon, his oath upon. And once again, it's his name and his word. But it wasn't just enough for the word to go forth. Our response to God's word and our agreement matters. He wants us to join in on the divine conversation that exists in the Godhead. We see this even as Moses, right before the children of Israel go into the promised land, are told in Deuteronomy 11, 26 through 29, to stand on two mountains, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. And to proclaim out loud the, the blessings that will come to them if they keep the covenant and the curses that will come to them if they break it. He wanted their mouth. He wanted what he had already said to them, what had already been written to come out of their mouth. That's why conversation is one of the main ways we steward the covenant. I love Psalm 68 verse 11. And women, this is a a verse that should excite you. The New International Version makes it very clear that the Lord announces the word and the women who proclaim it are a mighty throng or a mighty army. So it's not just God declaring the word, but it's his words coming through our mouth back to him in response, back to him in agreement that helps us to steward the covenant. And we see this all throughout scripture. Psalm 2.8 that I know gets prayed here often, right? We see the divine conversation between the Father and the Son. Ask of me, and I'll give you the nations. Ask of me, and I'll give you the ends of the earth for your possession. There's something in, in our dialogue, in our conversation, and it, it mirrors what goes on between God the Father and God the Son. Jesus tells us to pray to him, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send out laborers. He says, come to me, ask me. I want you to ask me. And he finds so much value in our response, in our agreement. When you think about what the elders experienced at Exodus 24, after the sacrifice, after the blood, that all points to Jesus, the eternal sacrifice, his eternal blood that cleanses and redeems, what do we see as the final act, it's a meal. It's a meal. And God reveals himself, and it was just his feet. This beautiful picture of the sapphire stone that should make us think about the, the, the sea of glass like crystal that you can read about in Revelation. 
This scene actually reflects what we see in Ezekiel chapter 1. And if anything, I think it should help us know that going all the way back to this covenant that is, that is made with Israel, again, God's motivation was to be known and to be seen. And it points to the day that he would fully reveal himself through his son. The covenant made through Moses with the children of Israel, all they got was his feet. But the new covenant, it comes on the the backside of Jesus walking the earth for 33 years. And we saw the fullness of God through Jesus Christ. It's beautiful. Because Jesus is the word made flesh that dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, the glories of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. Colossians 1, 19 and 20 tells us, for it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Colossians 2, 9, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And I love Hebrews. One, one through three, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world to be in the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, not just his feet, but the fullness of him, the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. This is what the covenant that was made with Israel was pointing to. I'm going to show the elders my feet, but there's coming a day where I'm going to reveal the fullness of who I am through my son. And they shared a meal with him. They shared a meal with him. All of this points us to the Lord's Supper in Matthew 26. And we see that communion, fellowship, a meal was central to the establishment of the new covenant in the same way communion through a meal marked the old covenant. Jesus says, take, eat, this is my body. Matthew 26, verse 26. That he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which almost mirrors exactly what Moses says in Exodus 24, verse 8, when he speaks of the blood for the covenant that was made with Israel initially. Jesus says, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. The promise that Jesus gives to those who will Eat his flesh and drink his blood is made explicit in John 6, 53 through 57. If we're going to steward the covenant rightly, it's going to be as we engage in conversation. We allow God's words to fill our mouths and we say them back to him, just as the children of Israel did in Deuteronomy, just as the mighty women proclaimed the word of God according to Psalm 68, 11. And number two, we're going to engage in communion and fellowship. And we've been given a meal that we can take as often as we want. The elders that were called up to the mountain with Moses, they shared in that moment one time. But what we see Jesus do in the establishment of the new covenant is he says, as often as you do this, 
do it in remembrance of me. Paul picks up that language in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We get to come to this table. We get to come to this meal, this this fellowship with the Lord as often as we want. And he gives promises to those of us who are in the new covenant that continue to engage in stewarding the new covenant through a meal in John 6, 53 through 57. Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up the last day. For my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. This again mirrors the heart of Yahweh in Exodus 24 to dwell to be with his people as we worship him in obedience. He promises eternal life. He promises to be raised up at the last day, and he promises to abide. This is the promise given to those who will steward the covenant through communion, eating his flesh, drinking his blood. I love verse 57. As the living father sent me and I live because of the father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. So I want to remind you one last time what we started with. God initiates the covenant. God sets the terms of the covenant. He speaks and he demands a response. And the response includes sacrifice. But this time it wasn't Moses telling young servants to go get oxen and other animals. But when Jesus is sitting at the the table in Matthew 26, he is the sacrifice. Instead of the blood of animals being used to sprinkle upon the people and put in the basin. It's Jesus's blood that is applied. And instead of the obedience only being to uh, the written law, now our obedience is to Jesus, our Lord. Our obedience and loyalty is to the man himself, the full embodiment of the law, the full embodiment of the word, the one who fulfilled the law and the prophets. And in the same way, in Exodus 24, it's all motivated by God's desire to be seen, to be known. Once again, that, that's brought to its fullness in Christ. He says, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now we don't just get to see his feet, but all of who he is. And we get to steward the covenant relationship through conversation and through the meal through communion. You're doing this as a local church and as a spiritual family. Every time you enter into the house of prayer, every time you come and you engage in the the prayer sets in the morning, in the evening, you're participating in that divine dialogue. You're allowing God's words, God's heart, God's covenant to fill your mouth and you're saying it back to him. Every time you sit down, not only on you know, days that you share in the Lord's Supper, but even just the potluck we're about to have in a minute, you're modeling God's heart to see his covenant promises stewarded through fellowship in a meal. And I'm here this morning to just encourage you to keep doing it. Keep being an example to this city. Keep being an example to the Church of Columbus. Keep being an example 
to this nation. I don't think you're probably aware of that, but what God is doing right here through Faith, Hope, Love, House of Prayer is, is truly inspiring the nation. Once again, every time we bring guest speakers and leaders in, they, they're just amazed. The Ohio Prayer and Worship Network allowing houses of prayer across the state to learn from what you're doing here as you steward God's covenant promises through conversation and communion because of what Jesus has done. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we thank you for this invitation. We thank you for the pattern that you set before us. Lord, you in this hour are raising up a people that know what it means to endure and persevere. Lord, it's through triumph and trial, Lord, that your testimony, your testimony goes forth through your church. And if we're going to last, it's, it's going to be the fruit of knowing how to steward rightly the covenant that you have brought us into through the blood of your son. And I thank you that once again, in your word, this pattern, going back to Abraham, he even shared a meal uh, with, with the angelic hosts in Genesis 18 in the midst of the covenant that was being sealed. And Isaac, the promise soon to come forth. We think about the meal that the elders had with Moses and with you, God, on Mount Sinai. We think about even David in 1 Chronicles 16 after the Ark of the Covenant is put under the tabernacle. He shared a meal with the people. And Lord, we think about Jesus, the Last Supper. Lord, I just ask for grace to come upon this house. Strengthen them as they model this, as they commit themselves to it. Help them to see the power in every expression of agreement when they allow their mouth to be filled with your words and they say them back to you. Help them to, to sense the supernatural blessing every time they gather around the table in communion every time they have a potluck and remind them that it's all unto the marriage supper of the lamb remind them Lord that it's all headed somewhere you are coming Jesus you are coming and you did not just initiate the covenant with us through speaking your word, inviting us to speak it back to you through conversation. You did not just invite us to steward the covenant through a meal, but Lord, there's coming a day that we will see you face to face in the one that we have spoken to in faith, the one that we have prayed to in faith, the one that we have lifted up our voices to, the one that we have agreed with in faith. We will see you and we will get to speak with you forever one that we have have dreamed of sharing a meal with as we recognize your tangible presence every time we share in the Lord's Supper 
that is all leading to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Where our eternal marriage with you will be consummated through a meal. This is your heart. This is your idea. These are your ways. Thank you, Lord, that you have found, you have found within yourself the mercy to do what's necessary through the cross of your Son to bring us into covenant. Here's the invitation I want to make and we'll be done. If, if you would say this morning, I, I just need more faith and more belief. I've been struggling with actually believing that when I pray and I respond back to God and I engage in the holy conversation that it's actually making a difference. I just need more faith to believe that it's actually making an impact. If you say today, I I know there's more power in the Lord's Supper and I know there's more power in sitting down with my brothers and sisters and sharing a meal and my heart has kind of grown a bit a a bit dull when it comes to the significance of just gathering corporately and sharing a meal and I want to I want a fresh passion for these two things for conversation with the Lord through prayer corporately and more zeal and passion for sharing a meal with the saints and with the Lord. If if that's you, just lift your hand. I just want to pray one more time for you. You say, I want more zeal and I need more faith. These are not just religious exercises. These are not just spiritual disciplines, but that there's power, that there's anointing. And that if I just do these two things, if I stay in the dialogue, if I stay in the conversation, if I keep showing up to the table, that that's sufficient to steward the covenant, Lord. You see the hands that have been lifted and you, you see the hearts that are crying out, Lord, I know this is what I'm supposed to do, but I want more zeal. And would you add faith to my obedience? Would you do that in this moment, Holy Spirit? Would you release zeal in the name of Jesus into every heart, every marriage, every family, this local body, this pioneering community, Lord, this, this lampstand in this region, a multi-decade expression of what it looks like. Would you increase their faith? Would you increase their zeal to keep going, to believe that there is so much significance in stewarding covenant through simple conversation and dialogue with you? and continuing to show up to the table communion and fellowship with you thank you Holy Spirit hallelujah hallelujah just out of your own mouth just